Today, organizations are taking a different type of look. It's no longer the cubicles, we sit next to each other and we decide, you know, hey, when can you have a meeting? And we all go to the boardroom and we sit down and we drink from the same water dispenser. We park in the same parking lot. But organizations are looking a lot more and more invisible. That, what I mean by that is the fact that the media director for R3, who is in the back filming this very meeting, is from Manchester, England. He's actually from London, but you know, you're really from where your wife wants to live. <laughs> so as a result, he is from Manchester, England. Then we had an individual from Australia earlier this week, South Africa via Ohio, and we could go on and on down the line. And I just talked to our technology director, he's in Hungary, and uh, we have another individual that works in Amsterdam, and we are all a part of the same organization. And the reason for that is the fact that there's a lot of money and investment that goes into infrastructure and buildings and all these different things. But if you can remove those things and recognize that the greatest organizations that have changed the world are not the ones with the biggest offices, are not the ones overlooking the New York seaboard. Those aren't the organizations that have brought change, that have brought revolution. They are the result of a revolution. But they were not the revolution themselves. America was not built on a big building in Big Ben. America was built on individuals in a colony, not a country, who decided to rebel against the government they felt was unfairly taxing them without appropriate representation, considering their interests. I mean, it's kind of like a marriage, right? You won't be married long if you don't take into consideration the interests of your wife in your decisions. Taxation without representation means divorce documentation. <laughs> you can quote me on that. So as a result of that, we've taken a different look. And I, I want to extend first my gratitude to Pastor Gordon for allowing us to come here to join you guys, to worship with you, to fellowship. We're in the middle of a mission in the middle of Oklahoma. Um, and we are praying that God continues to hold off the, the tornadoes. Um, but, you know, my media director and I are secretly hoping that a tornado will come just close enough for us to get it on camera and we can say we're on a radical mission right near a tornado. And I didn't want to not sell the girl the book, so I stayed there, even though I saw the tornado. And we have it on video, but, you know, the Lord knows. But anyway, I also want to extend my gratitude. Uh, tell the Kim, I know that um, as a youth director, your burdens are many, and let you know that as R3, we'll be praying for you because I know it's not easy to direct youth. I have two of them at home. I cannot imagine a whole conference um, of young people <laughs> to oversee and to help them to grow spiritually and prepare for the kingdom. So please know that you are in our prayers as well as your family um, itself, and I thank you for allowing us to be here tonight and to participate in this wonderful occasion. I also want to begin with a word of prayer. But before we pray, I want to ask you some favors. Can I do that as your guest? Yes. Ask you some favors? Yes, no? Yes. It's okay to talk to me. This is not a rock concert or anything like that. No security guards will attack you if, if you begin to get aggressive or anything like that. So all I ask is two things. The first thing is, is I want you to pray while we are studying the word of God together. In your mind, I want you to be praying, and this is what I want you to be praying. 
Lord, what are you saying to me? And whatever you're saying to me, I will do it. Today. What are you saying to me? Lord, I will do it today, whatever it is. The second thing that I want to ask from you is I want to ask you to be honest. We have a tendency to be very concerned about how we appear to human beings. But what, for some reason, we are very unconcerned about how we appear to angels in unfallen worlds who are also watching our decisions in this room tonight. And if they can see that you are moved by the word of God, and yet you are hesitant to surrender or to submit because you're a leader in the church, or because other people already view you as spiritual, or other people view you as a person who is ready, who's prepared, who's good to go. Therefore, you're not going to respond. You're going to make a private decision in your heart. And you're just going to walk out. And no one has to know. But from what I read in the Bible, people have never been ashamed of Jesus. They've never been ashamed for what he's done for them. And when they surrendered to him, they were excited. In fact, they would beg him to go with him. And Jesus had to tell some people, stay home and go and tell what God has done for you. Don't travel with me. I know what God can do. I see it every day. Amen. So as a result, I want to pray that you will be real with me because if there's one thing I know about doing youth ministry, young people don't like hypocrites. They don't want to be one. They don't want to have a relationship with one. They don't want to hang with one. But the reality is, no one challenges them on that point. So if you don't want to be a hypocrite, which means an actor, a pretender, that's where the Greek word means, hypocrites, you are a pretender, an actor. So if we're going to talk about youth ministry, we have to talk about what it means to be real. And that means if God is speaking to you, don't pretend like you're not interested in spiritual things because you're with your friends. Don't pretend like you don't want to study the Bible or you're not interested in what the preacher is saying because you're afraid that what someone might think about you. As a result, if we're going to be real, then let's be real. And hence my first request. If the Lord is speaking to you, ask him and pray in your mind throughout the message, Lord, what are you saying to me? I will do it today. I will do it today. And I trust that if we do that together, we will leave this place trusting that the Lord was here. He visited us. And he refreshed us by his presence. With that being said, would you bow your heads with me as we begin? Heavenly Father, there is only one thing we are asking at this moment in this program. And that is for the outpouring and the presence of your Holy Spirit. We cannot understand the Bible. We cannot preach the Bible with power. We cannot be changed. We cannot move in harmony with your word without his presence and his power with us. And so we pray that through him you might be with us this night. And that you would do something tonight that in years people would say it began at this meeting. This was our prayer, and we offer it up from our hearts in Christ's name. Amen. I want to start by talking about revolutions. The word revolution comes from the Latin word revolutio, which means to turn around. 
This is when we talk about something is revolving. The earth revolves around the sun. It's a cycle. It's a circle. But revolutio doesn't have that concept. This is not orbit. That's a different concept. Revolutio means that something is being completely changed. There's a fundamental change in power. And I want to share with you about some major revolutions that you may have no way of knowing or maybe you weren't interested in because they are eclipsed by the big ones. Because every country, when you grow up in that country and you're from that country, you are eclipsed by its own history. You don't necessarily know about what was going on in another place at the same time your country was having its issues. America's no exception. We know about the American Revolution. We know about the popular French Revolution, but I will mention it later on. But first, I want to start off with a revolution that began on August 22nd, 1791. It was begun by the slaves of a city, Saint Domingue. These slaves began to rebel on the soil of Haiti. By March 17th, 1792, the French Leadership Legislative Assembly had decided to grant political and civil rights to free black men and women in Haiti. And it was in March 1792 that these slaves formally denied the right to life, the right to liberty, the right to protect your wife from another man sleeping with her at will, the right to be able to determine when you went to sleep and when you went to work. They received power in March 1792. But the problem was they received power through rape, through murder, through pillaging, and through torture. In January 1798, 1978, an Islamic revolution began in the country of Iran. There were demonstrations beginning in January and these de demonstrations were against a man, he's called the Shah, this is his title, Muhammad Reza Abdullahi. And this is a very interesting revolution opposed to the other revolutions. Because by April 1st, 1979, this revolution had successfully deported its leader who had left the country in exile and by December 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini became the supreme leader of Iran, and Iran became an Islamic state. And therefore, it was December 1979 that they received power. And the interesting thing about this revolution was the fact that there was no defeat at war. There was no financial crisis. There was no peasant rebellion. There were no disgruntled military leaders. And yet this revolution was the fastest, the most peaceable, and the most popular. Massively popular. But you know, they received their power through demonstrations, through picketing, through economic, essentially, sanctions by their refusal to involve themselves in the economy of the country. And this is how they received power. Then I take you March 10, 1952, in a place called Cuba. There was a man, General 
Fulgencio Batista. He overthrew Carlos Prio Socaras, and this is what he did. When he overthrew him and took power, he canceled all elections. And you know what? This irritated a young Cuban lawyer. His name was Fidel Castro. And for seven years, Fidel tried to overthrow Batista. Failed, failed, failed. The first time he failed, in 1953, he was put in prison for 15 years. But in 1955, he was released so that the man, Batista, could show, I am so powerful, I'll just let you out of prison because I'm not afraid of you. But Fidel did not give up his dream to overthrow this man and failed again in 1955, ended up fleeing to Mexico, developed some new fighters, some guerrilla war tactics, failed again. But by 1959 in February, he received power. And you know what Fidel did when he got power? Canceled all elections. Declared himself to be president for life. Made it a communist country, built relationships with the Soviet Union. And the rest is history. And so there it was, February 1959, they received power. Through murder, through political intrigue and innuendo. One more I want to mention. This is called the Taiping Rebellion in China. This is in 1851 to 1864, during the American Civil War. Now, why is it we don't know about this one? Because 20 million people died in this rebellion. Way more than the Civil War. But you're not going to get that in your history books. And this one was precipitated, interestingly enough, against the Qing Dynasty, and this was the interesting part. A man named Hong was the precipitation of this rebellion. And how? Because he declared himself to be the younger brother of Jesus. And created the heavenly kingdom of China on earth. He calls it the heavenly kingdom of peace. He developed a following of 30 million people. 20 million died in this rebellion. He actually was ruling the southern part of China for quite some time. Unfortunately, despite the 20 million deaths, and they estimate it is as much as 50 million, the rebellion failed. They never received power with 30 million people following you. Well, one of the reasons is you're fighting a dynasty that's been around for 250 years. Well-financed, well-trained, well-practiced. But you see, in our day, these things don't mean anything. And the reason is we're, we're seeing different kinds of revolutions. When we talk about revolutions in 2014, we talk about social media revolution. Whole governments being tipped by one Twitter message. Gone. Gaddafi, Egypt, because of social media. You're talking about young people came to their senses in the United States of America between 18 and 29 and realized they could elect the president of the United States if they all showed up. Every single time. Because there's that many of them. 
more than any other age group in the United States of America, and they began a grassroots campaign to maximize the voter turnout of people in this age group, and indeed they did, because they believed in a man named Barack Obama. They believed that they could, and so there they were on the streets of New York, on the streets of Boston, on the streets of Chicago, on the streets of LA, by the subway, by any other business, any place people might traffic, asking them to make sure they understood the issues, understood that they had the right to vote. Did you register to vote? All over college campuses, they developed groups to make sure people were turning out to vote and that they would vote the right way. And therefore, America saw, after hundreds of years of slavery, decades of segregation and racism, its first minority president because of a revolution in the thinking of people who were young. So you're telling me that in a young adult meeting in Oklahoma conference, that this movement in this meeting is not important? Because a meeting like this took place some years ago to elect the first black president of America. Someone said, did you know that if we all gather together, we could elect the president? A similar gathering like this occurred among 17 young people to begin a movement called communism. Take over the world and they did a third of what they sought to do in 50 years. And they were ruling most governments with the largest population. You see, Jesus has begun what I believe to be one of the greatest revolutions of all history. I'll take that one amen. It is unfortunate that people are ignorant of the fact that in every revolution, there is always a promise of power. There is a promise that when you receive this power, you'll be able to change your lifestyle. Why do you think those Haitian slaves got together? Because they believed that if they banded together and they fought, they would receive power. And when they receive power, you don't have to worry about whether the master is going to come into your house in the middle of the night and rape your wife. Because you'll have power. So as a result of this, Jesus, one of the greatest, if not the greatest revolution in human history, he also gave a promise of power. No surprise. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1. Acts, chapter 1, which I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I imagine this is where you derived your theme. So I'm just going to assume this is where you got your theme. The Bible says in Acts, chapter 1, in verse 7, are you there? Amen. Yes, Amen. It says, and he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now let's pause here for a moment. Because here the Bible has substantiated what I just said, 
which is that Christ, when he was beginning the movement of Christianity, he began with the promise of power. But Jesus did not give a promise of power that would come by rape, by murder, by political intrigue, by the infiltration of governments, or the betrayal of Caesars. That's not how this power would come to begin the greatest movement that has ever taken the earth. And how is it the greatest movement? You see, it has taken over half the population of the globe is Christian and claims to follow Jesus. A man who had nothing. Not only this, Christianity has inspired every field of learning. It has given rise to the most splendid works of art. Even atheists love to sing Handel's Messiah. And they love to go and hear it. And it confuses me. Because when I was not a Christian and I was in choir, we're singing Christian songs. Like a bridge over troubled waters. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus, but it's beautiful. And no atheism has ever inspired music that people will pay hundreds of dollars to go listen to. Amen. So as a result of this, this is the movement of Jesus. And the powerful thing about this is not just in the arts, but you're also talking about the fact that in this spiritual revolution, Christianity affected architecture. They would build buildings so that you can maximize the light of the sun into the building because light was a symbol of the presence of God because Jesus is the light of the world. Architecture. Not just architecture, the role of women in society. There was a woman who used to be Muslim. She turned away from Islam she is now atheist. But in her book, as she goes to the end, kind of like the, the postlude of the book, if you will, she says, even though I am atheist, I do want to make one point very clear. And that is, if you are a woman, it makes no sense for you to join any other religion except Christianity. This is an atheist, former Muslim. No religion has a higher regard, greater sacredness, greater encouragement and projection of the potential of women than Christianity. Find out wherever Christianity has gone, you will see the role of women change. It's the reality. So as a result of this, this is the spiritual revolution and this promise of power is there, but here's a problem. The promise of power is only meaningful to those who are annoyingly conscious of their lack of it. Have you ever tried to go to a person who is already wealthy and talk to them, hey man, I can promise you lots of money. I have money. <laughs> I don't need money. In the same sense, if Jesus in this passage, right, he says, you shall receive power in verse 8. If his promise is for something they already possess, it is an empty promise. This is just playing for the camera. All right, guys, look at the camera. You shall receive power. Shake the hands. Okay, take the picture. Jesus goes to heaven. But you know what's interesting? Go, keep your finger here. Go to Luke chapter 10. Turn to the gospel of Luke. 
in the 10th chapter. And in Luke chapter 10, I want you to notice this statement that is uh, very interesting. Are you there? I'm sorry, Luke chapter 9. I'll come to chapter 10 later. All right, it says, Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them what? Gave them what? Power. Power. Now, there's two words in Greek that are oftentimes translated as the word power. Two words. The first word comes from the Greek word dunamis. Can you say that word? Dunamis. It doesn't look like how it sounds. It looks like the word dynamite. Because in Greek, the U is a Y. The other word that is oftentimes translated as power is the Greek word exousia. Can you say that word? Exousia, right? So notice in the passage, it says, go back to that verse. He gave them power and what? Authority. That's the Greek word exousia. So the first one is dunamis, comes from the word dunamis. The second one comes from the word exousia. So if you argued Acts chapter 1, he's giving them authority, but in uh, Luke, he's giving them dunamis. No, sorry, can't say that. Because in Luke chapter 9, he already gave it to them. Now, as a result of this, even a person who reads Greek would be confused. Because Luke and Acts are written by the same author. So Luke, why would you record Jesus promising the disciples power when according to your Bible and mine, it says you already gave it to them? Does that make sense? Yes or no? So as a result, what can we conclude? Go back to Acts chapter 1. Go back to Acts chapter 1. So all that we can conclude at this stage is the fact that whatever this promise of power is, it cannot be what he gave them in Luke. If that's clear, let's say amen. Amen. It can be what he gave them because otherwise, what do you think Peter would have said? Because Peter has a big mouth. Peter says the obvious. This is why I like Peter and I identify with Peter. And the Lord rebukes me probably just as much as he rebuked Peter. Because I just say things. And sometimes you just got to eat your words and take your rebuke. But the Lord can still use you. That's the blessing. He'll use a Peter to bring 3,000, but rebuke the daylights out of the men. So, as a result, if it was the same power, Luke would have recorded a conversation like this, and you shall receive power. And Peter would have said, Lord, you already gave us power. What are you, what are you saying we shall receive power? But not one disciple, not Philip, who said, Lord, Show us the Father. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been so long with you? Not Thomas who said, Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us and not manifest yourself to the world? How does that work? This is John 14 discussion about the Holy Spirit, by the way. Which goes to show you, which I'll deal with this tomorrow, disciples oftentimes are ignorant upon the one topic that Jesus wants to talk about the most, which is the Holy Spirit. That's where they have all the questions. But Lord, show us the Father. But Lord, wait, how do we know the way if we don't know where you're going? What? Lord, how will you manifest yourself to us but then to disciples? But not the world. 
So in this situation, one of them would have spoken up and said, uh, Lord, you said back when we, you first sent us out that you gave us power, authority. We were casting out demons, healing the sick, healing the blind. So what could he possibly mean here that when he said it to Peter, when he said it to James, when he said it to John, not one person peeped up with a question. They understood something about what Jesus was promising. And the promise of power was something they had not yet received. In other words, on Jesus' side, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, there is power you do not currently possess. It is promised to you and it is coming. You don't have it today. So as a result of this, what does he mean by power? Because this is the critical point. What is he promising? These are the same men. And I want you to be clear on this. If there's a power that Christ is promising to them, they did not possess it. Can you say amen? amen. If they did not possess it, my question to you and, and to myself is, Peter before Pentecost would have already been a Christian celebrity. You can already hear Peter at the young adult retreat, receive power. Let me tell you about how I stepped off a boat in the middle of a storm and kept walking on water. People will flock to hear that testimony. Let me tell you about how I was walking, right, and I healed this man. Peter would already have been, I casted out a demon out of a man at camp meeting. Peter would be traveling the circuit throughout the world church. And that was before Pentecost. And Peter, casting out devils, healing the sick. Have you ever gone on a chaplaincy hospital visit and prayed for someone, touched them, and healed them? Peter did many times up until this point. Many of us would be like, that guy is super spiritual. That guy, I mean, he's already filled with the Holy Spirit. But according to Jesus, he was not. He still had power to come. That's exactly what I said. Wow. So then what is he promising? Because for you and I, I'm just trying to catch up to Peter in Matthew chapter 3. You follow what I'm saying? Right. Amen? <laughs> I'm just trying to catch up to this. Step off a boat in the middle of a storm and walk on water? I'm trying to catch up with that. And by the way, we are reminded that Jesus and Peter did the same miracle by the same power. Yep. Before Pentecost. So as a result, whatever this power that Jesus is promising to Peter, to James, to John, to Bartholomew, to Judas, to Philip, to Nathaniel, it is not what they received in Acts or Luke chapter 9. It is something else. I want to share with you some different concepts of power. <laughs> you know, I, I was researching this because I was very interested to know how someone would define this. So I wanted to share, share, share some of these things with you. First of all, power can be influence or authority. Right? I have the power to fire you. I have the power to hire you. Or I have the authority. Or I have the right to do it. Right? The president has what we call executive powers. The youth director has executive powers. 
So as a result of this, power could be influence or authority. So is this what he's promising? But in Luke 9, it also says authority. Well, okay, going on. Such as having the power to influence or direct the behavior of others. I got it. Or power like a bewitching woman. It's the truth. Can influence you to do something that's probably not the wisest thing to do. Power can be energy. Right? Think about it. Such as the power generated by mechanical motions or hydroelectric power. So this is what we mean when we say things like the power went off. Don't we say that? True. The power went off. Power can be physical strength or force. For example, we think of stormy winds. We all know about those in Oklahoma. We think of a microwave that we put on full power. Or we think of a power hitter in baseball. Everyone knows don't pitch him a straight pitch because he's going to knock it out the park. He's a power hitter. So is Jesus saying, Peter, you're going to become a power hitter now. Every time you preach, it's going to hit it out the park. It's going to be an amazing sermon every time. Is this what he's promising to Peter? Power also encompasses the idea, this is an interesting one to me, a number being multiplied by itself, right? We say two to the third power. Interesting, right? So whatever the number is, we're, we're going to multiply it by itself. It's going to increase exponentially. However, it seems that these definitions all fall short of what Jesus is trying to say. It's important to be exactly clear what Jesus is promising to the disciples. The context suggests that Jesus is talking about ability to do something. Now, look at the text with me again. Look at the text with me again. Don't worry, we're almost done, seven minutes, so keep your breath. Sit up straight, air in your lungs. Helps you to stay awake, even though it's burning hot up in here right now. They got the heat on Jamaica, so. <laughs> Notice with me in the Bible, it says, But you shall receive power, Acts 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. Let me pause there for a second. You'll receive power, and you shall be witnesses. He didn't say you shall receive power, you shall be kings. That would be authority. You shall receive power and you can go for days. That would be energy. You shall receive power and you'll be able to lift 20, 30, 40 men like Samson. That would be physical strength. You shall receive power and you'll be able to have some superpower where you can heat up the air with your hands and with your fingers like he's some sort of Marvel superhero. Nope. None of those things are relevant. He's saying, you shall receive power to be witnesses. As a result, we can conclude many things. They were not witnesses at this point. Not only were they not witnesses, they have not been witnesses. Because you need power to do that. You're like, wait, wait, wait. So after we receive power, we shall be witnesses? Yes, but you're not going to be witnesses till you get power. And if you don't have the power, you don't have a witness. Because witness has power. This is the thinking and the logic and the reasoning of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you, listen to what I'm about to say, 
Even after three and a half years with Jesus, there was something the disciples did not have the ability to do. They did not have the ability to act in a certain way. They needed power. So as a result, he's saying, they do not have the ability to be witnesses for me. Now, why is this relevant to us? Because this power is so essential, why is it that Christ brings this up before he leaves? Your last words to your disciples, no hug, no I love you, Peter, stay strong, get over your pride, Thomas, get over your doubt, Philip, get over your questioning and your detailedness, don't try to mark everything God will do. None of those words, just you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses for me. You know why that is significant? Go to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to come back, but just go to Matthew 24 briefly. Just hang in there. We're almost done. We'll save the meat and potatoes for tomorrow. Matthew chapter 24. 24th chapter, Gospel of Matthew, 14th verse. Are you there? All right. The Bible says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a what? Witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So follow this progression. This is exactly what Lord, the Lord is lining up. Jesus says, you shall receive power. After you receive power, you shall be witnesses. After you are witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and unto Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts, and then the end shall come. Because the gospel was preached to all the world as a witness. Not that everyone's converted, not that everyone accepts the message, not that everyone is in love with the church or with the message. No, no, no. As a witness. And it has to be a witness with power. This is why Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, this is the meeting on May 9 in Oklahoma, right here. This is the meeting. Very few people were gathered there, yes or no? In fact, less than who's sitting here. And he was leaving that day. No, not that day, within the hour. <laughs> Maybe even minutes. And right before he leaves, he looks at his little group of disciples and he says listen you shall receive power to be witnesses so if this is what sparked the greatest revolution known to mankind in the world you're telling me in the little state of Oklahoma that the same meeting with the same promise with the same Lord with the same word with the same spirit, will not produce the same effect. You know who determines that? Not the Bible, not Jesus, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not the Bible, because your word is forever settled, O Lord, in heaven. He has exalted his word even above all that is called by his name. And God cannot deny himself, and God cannot lie. No problem with God, no problem with the word, no problem with Jesus, and the disciples receive power. Here we are today because of this verse. Because it was fulfilled. 
I pray that we will dwell upon this. You are sitting in this room. I am standing here preaching to you because this verse was actually fulfilled. We wouldn't be here. This building would have never been built. A cross would have no meaning. It would be a trinket that someone found from an ancient Roman relic. If this verse was never fulfilled, the cross would have never been heard about anywhere. Nowhere. Because of this verse. So I ask this question. If Peter was walking on water, healing the sick, casting out devils before he received this power, and many of us haven't even done those things, do you feel your need of power? Is the question. Because no person will receive power unless they are annoyingly conscious of their lack of it. And let me tell you how you become annoyingly conscious of your lack of power by doing ministry. By doing ministry. By trying to be a what? A witness. Am I telling the truth, yes or no? You know why we're shaking in our boots at the Valero gas station when the Holy Spirit's like, you need to give that man a glow track? Oh, no, Lord, no. He's got tattoos everywhere. Why are you afraid? No, Lord, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. He's not going to listen. He's not even going to read it. Then I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to look stupid. You know I'm telling what's in your mind. Oh, but let's come closer, right? When you go home and that family member does not know God, doesn't care for God. And as they start talking, right, all this rabble and rubbish. And all you're thinking is, that's not true. That's not true. But you don't say no. You know, Lord, I don't want to ruin my witness. You don't even have a witness. You've said nothing. Have you ever heard of a witness in court that sat on the stand and said nothing? Thank you, sir, for your witness. Please step down. It never happened. Because you're not a witness. Unless you have something to say. And the reason why you have something to say is because you have seen and you have heard something. One or the other. I heard them outside. When it came down to the Trayvon Martin case... The witnesses were not people who saw anything. They were people who were in their houses and heard. So, ma'am, what did you hear was the question. So in the same sense for you and I tonight in Oklahoma, God is coming down and you say, you chose the theme, receive power. I didn't choose that. So if you chose it and you came out knowing that was the theme, then the only question is, Who in the world would not receive power? I don't know anybody. We're not talking about position. We're not talking about authority. We're not talking about energy. We're not talking about physical strength. People say, I don't want position. I don't want authority. I don't want to be an elder in the church. I don't want to have this role, that role. No, 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 no. That's not the power that he's promising. 
ability to do something hitherto you have not been able to do. Who wouldn't receive that? The only person who wouldn't receive power is the person who is not annoyingly conscious of their lack of it. Because I tell you right now, and this is my last story, and I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> when I used to, you know, when I was training to become a, a call porter leader many, many years ago, <laughs> Heather knows how long it has been. <laughs> I remember I was going out there by myself. In order to train to be a canvassing leader, you have to go alone for 12 weeks, door to door, selling $400 books. Not $10. We could do that, no problem. Yeah, ma'am, you know, I used to mag a book to get gas money. <laughs> That's what we mag a book for. But these are the big books. You know what I'm talking about? The ones in the doctors and the dentist offices? Some people have said that before. <laughs> Blue books. So here I was going out, and the first summer I ever call portered, I sold almost $10,000, $12,000 worth of books. $1,000 to $2,000 of sales every week. One day I came home with $800. So I was like, the Lord is blessing me. He has called me to this ministry. Even though I hated it in many aspects, but at the end of the day, you can't deny when the Lord is blessing you. So I said, for sure I'm going to train to be a leader. I'm going to change canvassing. I'm going to be a different kind of leader. I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. So that, sure enough, I signed up on the dusty roads of Michigan in the middle of nowhere. The neighbors are three miles apart, nothing but fields. So here I am rolling, staying in a house by myself, no family, no friends, no marriage, no kids, nothing, just alone, you and Jesus. And you think you love souls. You think you love souls. Till you go out and you're going canvassing, come back, sold nothing. Day two, sold nothing. Week one, sold nothing. Week two, sold nothing. Week three, sold nothing. Week four, sold nothing. A month. Came home, I woke up one morning. What is the point of driving around the streets of Michigan for nine, ten hours a day to come home with nothing? The same books I started from day one are in my bag. I'm like, I sat down, had my devotions. I said, Jesus, I'm not called. I'm not called. I'm going to call the publishing director, tell him I'm quitting. I'm not called. If anyone has been one of my students, they'd be like, that's crazy that Sebastian would actually come to that place. But it was the truth. I was there. I, I looked at my phone. I was this close to calling him. And I said, you know, I'm going to pray one more prayer. And I said, Lord, if you don't give me a sale today, I'm quitting. This is what I told him. Just like I just told you. That was my prayer. Lord, if you don't give me a sale today, I'm quitting. Got in a car. Drove. Driving around. Came by this one house. It was actually attached to the church. Baptist minister. Going into the canvas, he's like, yeah, me and my wife would love to see the books. I'm like, this is unbelievable. Start cracking the books. 
come to Acts of the Apostles, the book on Acts, and I say, and then Pentecost, when the power came upon the disciples, and they went out and proclaimed a risen Savior with power. And the guy said, excuse me, I have one question, sir. Yes. He says, you said Pentecost, right? Yes. And you said they were speaking in tongues. Yes. What do you understand by tongues? I'm like, uh, I don't know where he's going with this. So I said, well, sir, my personal understanding from my personal study uh, is that these were languages. He's like, oh, I believe that too. Continue. Finished. By the end, he said, we're going to buy the books. So $300 check, boom, writes the check. He's like, so you told me that you're vegetarian, right? Yeah. Are you vegan? Yes. You need to come over. Me and my wife are going to have a meal for you. As you're doing your work, just come here, relax, get a drink of water, lemonade, whatever you need. Five daughters. What he has. They only listen to Christian hymns in the house. His daughters are super respectful. They only talk when spoken to. All five. I was like, this is shocking because my daughter. (laughs) It's a whole other world. So I'm like, wow, Lord. Leave this house. I'm driving and I'm like, Lord, I'm sorry. I should have never prayed this prayer. You know, I apologize. My lack of faith, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that still didn't change my attitude. So I came to this one. I was encouraged, right? I got at least one sale this week. Went to this truck driver. He said, my wife is a preacher. You should come back and show these books. I'm like, oh, perfect. This is jackpot right here. And they got grandkids? $700. So I'm praying all day long. Yeah, Lord, come back to the house. 8 o'clock at night. Get in, set up. They sit down on the couch, give the presentation. After about an hour, me and the wife start going back and forth about the books. She says, well, I'm looking for something more like encyclopedias. I'm like, well, ma'am, I understand what you're saying. Encyclopedias, you can get those online, and they're always changing and updating them. These books, I even use them to preach. They're just that powerful. I could just tell you that off the bat. So we keep going back and forth, back and forth. It was 1045 at night. We were still talking over the books. You could feel the spiritual battle in the house. I was so invested in this thing that by the end, it literally came to the point where there was complete silence between us. And after the silence, she said, I'm sorry, it's just not what I'm looking for. It took everything in my masculinity to protect me from breaking down in tears right there. Everything. I put my head down, I could feel the tears starting to come out of my eyes. I closed up the cover. She says, I'll buy the samples, exact same books, but just soft cover. Buys the books, $60 check. I walk out the house, and as I'm driving, I'm, I'm like tearing up. I'm angry. I'm like, I can't believe this. Prayed, put everything in this thing, and this woman didn't get it because she's looking for encyclopedias? And what if in the day of God, she's on the outside of the city of God. And she meets my eyes through those clear glass walls and say, I came to your house. I was there to present the books to you. 
and you would not accept them. Lost. Because you're looking for encyclopedias. And you knew you were convicted to get the books. So when I got home, after 11 o'clock at night, I was so broken, I couldn't even sleep. I just prayed all night. Come to find out the next day, one of the other call porters from Kenya, she had the same experience. And she was up praying all night in the women's room. We came to breakfast, didn't tell our leader, because you don't want to look tired. That doesn't make you look good. So I tried to make myself look like I had not been up all night. She was doing the same thing. We came, but she's more honest than I was. He just asked her, he's like, you look tired. She's like, I was up all night praying. I had a rough experience last night. And then I, when she said it, I said, well, she already put it out there, so let me just go ahead and tell him. <laughs> so I told him. I was up all night, too. I was praying. And realizing here I was taking extra long lunch break, cutting corners, not doing every house, but I'm like, I'm, I love souls, right? I want to see Jesus come in my lifetime. I want to finish the work. No, you don't. Why are you cutting corners? Why are you taking an extra long time on your lunch break? If you were working at a job, you wouldn't do that because you get fired. But when it comes to God's work, it's different. Because why? We don't love souls. And I, would, I felt it that night. My witness had no power. I had all the skills. I knew the canvas. I knew how to sell the books. But the problem was I wasn't a witness. So at that moment, my leader was so convicted. We all went to the worship room. We were literally prostrate on the ground, face down praying. Telling the Lord, break us, Lord. Whatever it is that's holding us back, just break us. Pleading, praying for the Holy Spirit, praying for power, claiming Acts chapter 1, verse 9. After we finished praying, we said, all right, we have to go forward in faith that God has heard our prayer. We've humbled ourselves. We submitted ourselves. Went out from that day forward, God knows I'm telling the truth. All of us sold books every day the rest of the summer. Every, I mean, I'm not talking about just like one sale here. I'm talking about one day, the three of us, there's only three of us canvassing. We came home, our total receipts was $11,000. One day. At the end of the 12 weeks, now, mind you, first half, we were selling nothing. By the end, we had sold 60000 My leader himself, he would just look at us like he would start pinching us and stuff. He's like, y'all need to stop playing around. Are, are you angels? Are you guys here to save me? Because this is crazy right now. The way the Lord was working, it was literally miraculous. Like, we would walk up to people, and they would say, I knew you were coming to my house. I knew you were coming to my house. What? What do you have? Oh, ma'am, I'm showing these blue Bible stories. Perfect. How much? Just like that. We're talking about four or $500 checks in 10 minutes. Don't even know me. By the end, it became clear to me that in ministry, there's two phases. The breaking phase, where we realize we need power and the phase where we experience it. And guess what, brothers and sisters? Peter had his at the cross. His hopes, his dreams shattered. 
three days broken. He was broken. And he denied him. Peter thought he was done as a disciple, period. And Christ said to him, who denied me, who tried to stop me from going to the cross, who forsook me on the night of my worst suffering, you will receive power. You will receive power. Promise. But Peter was annoyingly conscious of his need. Are we? Are we? I invite you to bow your heads as we bring this to a close. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I ask you to do two things. Pray in your mind, what is the Lord saying to you? I will do it today. And the second thing is honesty. This is where the honesty comes in. Do you feel your need? Are you annoyingly conscious of your need of power? If you are not, if you're saying, you know what? I don't feel my need of power. And I want God to give me a breaking experience. This is a serious prayer right now. I want Jesus to give me a breaking experience so I can feel my need of power. If you want to pray that prayer with me, because I've prayed it, I've prayed it and continue to pray it. Lord, help me to be annoyingly conscious of my need of power. If you want to say, Lord, I'm willing to pray that prayer, I want to invite you to stand. This is a serious prayer request. Serious appeal. Lord, I want a breaking experience. I want a breaking experience. Because I want people to see there was me before the Holy Spirit came and there was me after. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. The moment of power. Lord, I'm going to pray for a breaking experience. This is serious. This is not just an emotional choice. But I want to pray for a breaking experience. An experience where I know that I need power. Because the reality is, brothers and sisters, we're going to go there one way or the other. <laughs> we're going to get there. Just want to make sure the power is available when we do. My second invitation is that person that says, I don't even have a burden to be a witness. <laughs> I don't have a burden for evangelism, for ministry. I've never made a conscious decision that I'm going to be a missionary. In my lifestyle, in my life, in my job, in my school, I haven't made that decision. And young adult ministry means nothing if people have not made that commitment. It's not a ministry. It's a social club. It's a gathering. We hang out. We eat food together. We got plenty of food, plenty of pineapple, but not a lot of power. So if there's someone here that says, Lord, give me a burden for souls. I want to love souls the way Jesus loves souls.
I want to be like the good shepherd. If that is your prayer, I also invite you to stand. Say, Lord, give me a burden for souls. I want to love souls. I want to care that people don't make it to heaven. I want it to matter to me when people are like, I'm ready for a Bible study. And I feel the agitation. I need to call them. I need to do this Bible study. I need to make it a priority. I want a burden for souls. Because it's not a ministry. If we don't have a burden for souls. Heavenly Father, you see those who have stood for two reasons. One, we've stood because we want a breaking experience. Lord, in order to receive power, we must feel our need. Annoyingly conscious, and that comes through a breaking experience. Peter went through the cross. It was not what he was expecting. It was not what he thought. And Lord, we have stood to say, give us that experience that we were not expecting. That is not what we thought would be the results of all of our effort and our commitment. But that it would break us, Lord. That it would make us teachable. Father, I also pray tonight for those who have stood that say, give me a burden for souls. And Lord, we are praying that you would help us to love souls the way Jesus loved them. That we would be passionate and that our hearts would be heavy with the need of Oklahoma. And that there would be a revolution that commences among the youth and young adults of this conference. From the top down, the commitment to soul winning would be thorough. It would be determined and it would be indomitable. And for those who have stood, give it to us, Lord. Because it's not natural. Only your spirit can give us that. We thank you, Lord, that these things are promised to us. We thank you that we don't have to worry whether it will come or not. And we trust that as we move forward in faith, not on our feelings, but in faith, you will answer. And we shall be changed. And we shall receive power. We thank you for these gifts. And we offer this prayer from our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.